0: Why is it that just when I need him most God often seems to be silent if you've ever wrestled with that question you're in good company even the psalmist asked God why he hides his face and is silent today you'll get some loud answers to a silent question welcome to evidence and answers with Pat Zuckerman Dr. Zuckerman is a popular speaker and scholar specializing on world religions, worldviews, and matters of faith and culture. We've collected resources for you on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism is available in Pat's books and articles, past radio shows, and interviews with leading experts. So take a look around at evidenceandanswers.org. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you'll find topics that will fascinate and inform you. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now here's Pat with part one of The Silence of God. Why
1: is God silent when I need to hear from Him the most? And when I need to know He is there and I need to feel His presence more than ever, why is it oftentimes that He appears to be silent and distant in my time of crisis? First thing we're gonna do, we're gonna identify the problem. Then we're gonna give perhaps a biblical explanation why God appears to be silent in a lot of situations. And then, we're gonna move into application. How do you process and get through the pain? So those are the three areas we're gonna try and cover this morning. And when I developed this talk, it was perhaps one of my most important, but probably my most difficult and one of the deepest seminars uh, that I give. Usually it's a whole week-long series. We're gonna try to do it uh, in about 50 minutes, but it's a very deep, deep subject that we are wrestling with here. Years ago, I met a lady named Mary, who lived in Los Angeles. Her marriage was on the rocks as her husband began having an affair with his younger much younger secretary. And Mary prayed day and night that God would bring her husband back, that her marriage would be restored, and that God would come through in her great time of need. Well, her husband ran off with a much younger woman, and moved to Las Vegas, leaving her and her three children all alone. Knowing that she needed more income, she sent out her resume and got hired by a wonderful company that was going to give her a a great salary and great benefits, but she would just have to move to Houston, and she thought that's great, new city, new start, and the name of that company was Enron, and so she moved there, and within a year, you know what happened to Enron. Because of the corruption at the top, that company folded all her benefits, any retirement that she had saved in the stock of the company was suddenly gone. Here she was now in Houston with no family, very few friends, and now without a job. As she began looking for a job, three months later, she noticed a lump on her breast. And she went into the doctor and discovered that she had to go into chemotherapy. It was breast cancer of a very aggressive sort. She called her husband to let him know the situation, only to find out that he was having a great time in Las Vegas, living a life, you know, uh, of fun in the sun with his new younger wife. And Mary was sitting there bitter and angry, asking one question we all ask in times like that, right? Where is God? when I need him the most, right? It's obviously God's will that families be strong and healthy, where was he? I prayed for years for my marriage to be restored. I prayed for years for my husband to come back. Where is God when I need him the most? And you could see the sense of abandonment turning into bitterness and anger that she's been carrying for many years. Never being able to work through or put that incredible amount of pain behind. And I don't blame her. Joni and David you know, were a family who prayed for their two boys, especially the older one who seemed to be going the way of the world. Prayed day and night that the two boys, especially the older one, would be men of God who would walk with the Lord. Well, as time would have it in his senior year, he went out on his graduation evening and that night, he and his friend in a car crashed into a telephone pole. Their car wrapped around the telephone pole and their oldest son was killed. Uh, the Funeral and of course everything was painful. They got the same superficial answer that many of us Christians give. It was God's will. Or someday you're gonna have a great ministry to people who have lost their sons in some tragedy. Those superficial kind of answers just caused more pain in their lives. Eventually the stress of the funeral the sense of abandonment, the bitterness towards God, and when, why couldn't God have prevented this? Couldn't have God caused them to lose their keys? Or, you know, the engine not to start. All of this is directly God's fault. God could have prevented it if he wanted to. And eventually it took a toll on their marriage where they ended up divorcing. And now when I talk to Joni today, that's the only question she ever asked me. Where was God when I needed him the most? He was silent when I continued to cry out to him year after year after year. Where was God when I needed him most? Why is he silent? You know, she looks at me and says, you know, if my kid is crying and in tremendous pain, I go over there and comfort him and give him a hug. I let him know my presence is here, near, more than ever before. Why doesn't God do that? All these prayers never went answered. You know, and the uh, sense of abandonment eventually turns to bitterness and anger. And a lot of Christians are unable uh, to work through the whole process. Here is the problem, and this may be the number one reason why many Christians end up walking away from the faith, you know, or never grow to maturity in their faith and remain continually bitter and angry towards God. Many Christians are disillusioned when in critical moments their prayers go on un- Then there's feelings of abandonment and doubt whether God is there or God is good or can God be trusted. Then we fall into doubt. Is he good? Does he really care? Does he really listen? Does he really answer prayer? Often that turns into bitterness and anger. And eventually many believers walk away from church or walk away from faith or just remain bitter and angry at God for the rest of your life. You know, maybe you're struggling with that. Where was God in my great time of need? Maybe you're going through that sense of, uh, you know, God doesn't care. He's not listening, sense of abandonment. Or I guarantee you, you and I are counseling people in those situations. I've been through tremendous struggles where I've felt that. I remember uh, we have been praying for years and years and years for a situation in my life and, um, Every prayer we had prayed, we prayed about 15 prayers, different kinds of prayer, and none of them were being answered. In fact, everything was going the opposite way. And finally, um, it was the night that I was supposed to go into court. One thing we're praying, we won't won't have to go to court. It's a waste of time. And uh, the accusations being leveled were so silly, you know. Um, I ended up going to court for five minutes, I think, because you know the the, uh, attorney didn't want to bring it up. It was so silly, but anyway. I remember the night before, we were just sitting there. The pastors were there, the board members. and I remember uh, one guy, godly man, one of my best buddies. He's an engineer from Hawaii, and he just kind of sat there. Everybody was quiet for about five minutes. And uh, he just kind of sat there and he said, you know, if God would at least answer one of our prayers in the last five years, there'd be some encouragement here. You know? And he kind of expressed the sentiment we all felt, but no one was willing to say, where is God? Why is he silent when we need him the most? Perhaps, you know, you're in that situation, perhaps you know someone else in that situation. Um, But you know, um, the problem of the silence of God, this is not a new problem or a problem of our time. This is an ancient problem way back in the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament. The prophets and the apostles all struggled with this issue take a look at psalm 44 psalm 44 the writer is writing and the context of this is when israel is falling to the babylonian empire and the psalmist is writing and he's saying god where are you can't you see the, the distress of your people where are you now this is what we call a lament psalm usually a lament psalm the guys just belly aching and crying and before God, and usually it ends by saying, but in the end I will put my trust in you, you are sovereign, you are great, you are faithful, whatever. However, this psalm ends kind of on a disturbing note. This, This psalm will disturb you a little bit. Psalm 44, the writer says this, Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. And here's the final verse. Wake up. Wake up and help us. Redeem us because of your unfailing love. And that's how it ends. All right? It's kind of a disturbing psalm. It just says, hey, wake up. All right? Where are you when we need you the most? This is the struggle of believers uh, from ancient, ancient times. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 9 as Jeremiah sees the impending doom of his people. In Jeremiah 14.9, the prophet Jeremiah writes this, Why, O God, are you like a man taken by surprise, like a warrior who is powerless to save? You are among us, O Lord, and we bear your name. Do not forsake us. You see, the silence of God, if you're struggling with it, then you ought to be able to relate to the prophets and the apostles who also struggled with this issue. Why is God silent when I need him the most? There are many Christians who struggle with their pain over and over and over, and are never able to get through it and leave it behind. So I hope the things that we share with you today, I hope will help you in a healthy biblical way, process through the incredible pain some of you are going through or your friends may be going through, and allow you to get through that dark tunnel, all right? And hopefully start coming out into the light. You know, in, there were times in my life when it was uh, so painful. Uh, I couldn't go in uh, to the worship service. It's hard for me to sing, you know, God, our great deliverer, our strong and mighty fortress and all that. I'm just sitting there going, I can't say that. You know, where were you, man? You know, we called on you for years, Why don't you show up? You know, and so um, it wasn't just weeks, it was months where I couldn't go. When the worship was done, then I'd walk in. You know, and the philosophy of worship of our worship leader back in Dallas was celebration. We come and we celebrate. So every song is upbeat and joyful and happy. And for those of us struggling through some incredible pain, those who've lost a loved one, been through divorce, discovered, hey, I, I got cancer, I got three young kids, I just lost my dad. It's hard for them to go in there and be happy and rejoice and clap, right? You know, uh, there's a whole bunch of us sitting in the coffee shop, and when it's done, then we start walking in. Why is God silent? And, and, and uh, you know, often we Christians give superficial answers to what is a very deep and difficult situation. And often our superficial answers cause more pain. Oh, everything works for the good for those who love God. So hey, get over it, man. You know. Oh, two weeks later, you're still in depression, dude. What's your problem, man? You're walking with God. Let's go. You know. uh, I used to go to a church. um, I won't say it because you you may recognize the guy's name. We'll just call him Pastor uh, Pastor Superficial. Okay. He was up there preaching. He said, "If you're in depression, you're in sin." You should not be in depression if you're a Christian. I can guarantee if you're in depression, you're practicing sin. You know, uh, I went up to him, talked to him later, but he didn't want to hear it from me. I said, Wasn't Jesus called a man of sorrows? Was that guy in sin? Wasn't Jeremiah called the weeping prophet? Was that guy in sin? You know, he just kind of blew and walked away. You know, he, he, he switched his messages, you know, from, to more you know, positive, can't say anything negative kind of stuff. Uh, I, you know, as I travel the world, East Asia and other places, uh, closed countries like that where the Christians suffer tremendously, uh, I asked them, I said, what is the big difference you see between Christianity in these kind of countries and Christianity in America? And, you know, they gave me an answer that really was profound, but it disturbed me. He said, you Americans don't have a theology of suffering. You guys don't have a good understanding of suffering. You know, you just don't. If you're suffering, you think something's wrong. You know, and a lot of your messages you know, are kind of be positive kind of stuff. God is going to come through in the clutch. And when God doesn't, you see your family going into the prison camp, sons and daughters going into the work camp, and you don't know when you're going to see them again. And you, know, you American missionaries come here and teach us how God is going to come through in the clutch. And we find out four years later, my son died in the work camp. That's not a message that resonates with us here. As I study the Bible, there is about a dozen reasons why God holds back and appears to be silent and doesn't intervene. we're not gonna be able to cover all of them today. I'm just gonna cover a few of why God sometimes allows things to happen and holds back, doesn't answer prayer, and sometimes appears to be silent. The first one is kind of the most obvious one. It's one of the easiest answers. It's sometimes there's sin, that must be dealt with. And there's the sin that's hindering our fellowship in God, working in our life, and he, that's one way he is to wake us up. For example, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, where Jesus teaches us how to pray. He says, Our Father who art in heaven. And then he says, uh, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then he says, "For if we do not forgive others of their sin, your heavenly Father will, will, um, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father, uh, will wait. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It doesn't mean that you lose your salvation, but that fellowship and that intimate presence and working of God in your life will be hindered." First uh, Peter three seven: "Husbands, treat your wives with understanding." as a weaker vessel, you know, as a co-heir in Christ, you know, as a weaker vessel, so that your prayers will not be hindered. All right, so sometimes there is sin that prevents God from answering prayer or working in our life or sensing his intimate presence. But most of us know when we've sinned and when that's going on. We've got the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we kind of know what's going on. The problem is when you make that the overarching answer, Right? Someone just got fired from their job and their kid has been discovered with a tumor. And we go up to them and say, dude, there must be sin in your life, man. What is it? Fess up, man, right? You sin, bad things happen. Better figure it out. Okay? None of us are perfect, but that's not always the answer. Maybe this couple is like Job, walking with God, doing the best that they can, walking in integrity. And, you know, We don't know why it occurs. And it's a great... This favor we do as Christians to give that kind of very simplistic kind of answer. That's what Job and his friends were judged for. Second, perhaps there is more going on than we can perceive or understand. That's the story of Job, right? Job begins with chapter 1 and 2. There is a cosmic duel in the heavenlies between God and Satan. And the fate of mankind and the glory and the honor of God hinges in the balance. It's more than just what Job is going to do. There is a cosmic war and a cosmic struggle here that's got deep implications for the fate of mankind. Now, put yourself in Job's shoes. We know about chapter 1 and 2. Job doesn't. Job doesn't know. For Job, it begins in chapter 3. Right? He loses his family and on that day, loses his entire business uh, and all his servants. Uh, he loses it all. And his wife ends up coming up to him and say, you know, hey, why don't you just curse God and die? Right? How bad does that get? Right? And from chapter 3 all the way to chapter 38, now this could have been going on for several years. We don't know how long this was happening. God is silent, all right? And Job is crying out to God, and, and he's saying, in all of this, you remain silent. Right? And there's three conversations he has with God, and, and he's calling God to a debate. He said, God, I wanna debate you. I wanna see why I deserve this. What have I done? You know, and in one part he says, and when we're in a debate, I think I could beat you. I got a case, right? And then later he goes, well, maybe not, you know, you'd win, but I want my day in court with you. You know, I wanna challenge you to debate, right? Finally, we come to the end, chapter 38, when God finally speaks to Job. And does he answer Job's question? No, he doesn't answer Job's question. All right. Instead, what does he do? He says, Job, let me ask you a couple questions. Okay? Where were you when I put the stars in place? Where were you when I created the mountains? Where were you when I designed the goats to run upon the rocky hills? Job, where were you when I was doing all these things? And in the end, Job gives his response, right? He said, I've seen things too wonderful for me to understand. I repent in sackcloth and ashes. What does Job say? He says, I finally realize there is a whole lot more going on than I could possibly understand. You're in control of all things, and I'm just going to trust in you. That's Job's answer. He says, I don't need to know the answers now, because I've seen you. There's more going on than I could possibly understand. I put my trust in you. I'll keep quiet. Incredible, incredible response. So as Job realized, there's, there's something far bigger than himself going on. And in our lives, that's the same. There's a lot more going on in world affairs. There's a lot more going on in the cosmic and spiritual realm that we could possibly, possibly understand. You know, the classic example we hear is this, right? Uh, a church is praying really hard, because they got a picnic coming up on Saturday, and they need God to give them good weather. They're going to have a successful picnic. Meanwhile, down the block, you got a group of farmers praying, God, we're in a drought, and our crops are going to be ruined unless you come through with rain. All right? Which one does God answer? Right? Now, on Saturday, it rains. The people at the church are going, God, where were you, man? You know what, you didn't listen to us? What's the deal? The farmers are going what? Praise God, praise the Lord, all right? There's a lot more going on than we could possibly understand or imagine. You know, let's make it a little more gritty here. In one room in a hospital, there's a family praying for their six-year-old son who needs a kidney transplant, all right? He's not gonna make it if he doesn't get one. In the room, right down the hallway, there's a family praying for the grandfather. and he's, they've got, They both got the same blood type. They're praying he makes it through his stroke. Which one does God answer? You know? Let's just say he answers the family with a young boy. All right, What's that mean? That means the family with the grandfather, their prayers aren't answered. All right? They're in that room crying saying, God, where were you? In the room with the, with the young boy, they're saying, praise God, man, you answer prayer, you're awesome. There's a lot more going on often in the cosmic spiritual realm and all around us that we can possibly understand. So for some of us, we may think God is holding back, but really there's a lot more going on than we can possibly understand. Next, sometimes God holds back for a greater good to be accomplished. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, right? For Paul, you might think God was silent, he may have thought God was son. He says, "I got this thorn in my side," and from the evidence of the Bible, you can reasonably conclude that was probably some kind of physical ailment. We think it was cataracts, all right? And for a scholar like Pro, uh, Pro for a scholar like Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, the ability to see and write is absolutely critical, ain't it? I mean, if a guy needs to be able to see and write, that's Paul. All right? And if it is cataracts, which which I think the evidence points there. He's praying that God would deliver him from the thorn in his side. He said, three times I prayed, and God didn't answer. And finally, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Right? God held back and didn't answer his prayer. Why? It was for Paul's protection, right? What's Paul say? To keep me from being proud, right? And depending on myself and stop depending on him, he gave me this thorn in his side. If Paul could have been a very arrogant and proud guy, He is perhaps the greatest uh, scholar and philosopher that has ever walked upon the earth. Uh, Anthony Flew, the great atheist philosopher who became a theist, died about a year ago. He is the Billy Graham of the atheists. Anyone in apologetics, you had to answer Anthony Flew. No one's come up with a new argument against the existence of God uh, from David Hume until Anthony Flew. Anthony Flew is the guy who debated often with C.S. Lewis, right? titan amongst the atheists. Okay? And he said, I don't believe in any religion. You know, I believe in God. I don't believe in any But if you want any religion, he said, Jesus is as great a model as you're ever going to find. And the Apostle Paul is perhaps the greatest philosopher you will ever study. So the thorn inside uh, was for Paul's protection. God may be holding back to accomplish what may be a greater good. And often a sinful, self-centered, finite beings often what we may be praying may not be the best actually may not be good in some situations next often we cannot mature if he's always intervening and making the way straight for us the only way creatures created in the image of God who are free and have a free will only way we're gonna learn is to go through struggles uh, immature faith depends circumstances and situations, mature faith holds on no matter what,
0: resting and trusting in God, even through those difficult times. Lots of topics like these are at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. We want to encourage you to go to our website often, download all the information there past shows, Pat's books and articles, interviews with leading experts, and a full analysis of spirituality and culture. You'll find the topics fascinating, you'll equip yourself, and you'll help us stay on the air. If you believe in a radio program that intelligently presents the claims of Christ and issues of faith and culture, then support us. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org, click on the donate button, and anytime that you purchase our resources, you help us stay on the air. That's evidenceandanswers.org, and we so look forward to hearing from you. We'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman.